Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Development by David podcast with your host, David McIntosh. It's so good to be back. I'm sorry for the inconsistent upload schedule. I've been around the country and please expect the same over the next couple of weeks. I'm presenting and talking in London and Manchester. I'm studying towards exams. It's even my 25th birthday on the 10th of July. I'm trying to have a little bit of life over the summer and balance my work commitments so my schedule won't be weekly. I'll try and post as often as possible. I'm still going to bring you some amazing guests over the next few weeks. So please, please strap in and stay loyal. But without further ado, this episode is fantastic. It's with my guest this week, Macklin. You might know Macklin from the amazing Impulsive podcast hosted by Logan Paul. He's Logan Paul's best friend. But he's much more than that. He's an artist, poet and thinker. I love this episode. Full of introspection and self-discovery and how Macklin really bites into his artistic expression. Macklin also shares his unique perspective in life and how he left behind the glitz and glamour of Hollywood. I really, really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends, family, and a group chat, the usual stuff. You know how to support this podcast. And if you're feeling extra generous, 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 please give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and head along to the YouTube channel, hit subscribe. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. And before we get into it, I need to give a huge shout out to this week's sponsors, Vaby and New Life Gym. As you're aware, Vaby have been backing me since day one. Vaby's meal replacement or complete meal shake is a delicious and convenient way to stay fueled throughout the day or even start your day. If you are interested in this, look no further than Vibe. With Vibe, you can enjoy all the nutrients that your body needs to operate in one easy-to-drink shake. Made with high-quality ingredients and available in a range of delicious flavors, salted caramel and chocolate and vanilla, Vibe is honestly the most perfect solution for busy professionals, fitness enthusiasts, and anyone just like me looking for a quick and healthy meal on the go. I'm also using their Brain Care Smart Greens and the mango flavor at the moment. It has over 50 vitamins that I could never get through food or through um, pills or supplements. It's such an easy way to essentially create insurance for my health. Sounds silly, but trust me, it feels amazing to drink this kind of green, ice-cold shake, especially in the summers in Scotland. In the morning, I'm covering all bases between my health, my fitness, my mindset, especially with the nootropics that are in these products. If you are interested... And feeling the way I feel, then visit vibe.co.uk. Use code D by D for 15% off. That's D by D for 15% off site-wide. And also huge shout out to the other sponsor, my other friends over at New Life Gym. David Galbraith, the pro MMA fighter over there, is mastering um, the art of mental performance with his M23 coaching. If you are either wanting to tune your body, tune your fighting skills, or tune your mind, head along to New Life MMA and Mary Hill. Tell them David sent you. And without further ado, this week's guest, the amazing, the famous, the American, Macklin. <laughs> Who is Macklin today in 2023? How would you interpret Think about it a lot, especially right now. I've been redefining that, eh, just a little bit, tweaking it, maybe. But as far as I see myself right now, my name is Macklin. I'm a thinker, I'm a poet, I'm a painter, and recently I'm a podcaster. I am interested in all different categories of creation. So 
anytime I can speak with someone or work with someone to evolve my creativity, their creativity, and create a product or a piece of artwork to share with the world. I'm all about it. I love natural things. I love to get out and walk and meditate and write and focus on ways that I can improve myself, whether through self-reflection or through external reflection of things that I see other people doing that I either agree with or disagree with and consistently aim to better myself and become the best version of me that I could ever be and continue to evolve my ability to create, share my perspective and illuminate a different way of perceiving, illuminate a different way of This one's hard. It's, it's hard. I All I want to do, hmm, I really want to say that properly because I don't want to. I want to illuminate a way that everyone in the world can understand how to take a look at themselves and become internally whole. There's so many post-it notes in this kind of post-it note rain that I'm visualizing at the moment that I want to pull on after that amazing, profound, extensive intro. Given, I want to kind of relate to the last part of your intro there. That was obviously, I don't want to say I'd struggle to say, because you were mm. coming to that revelation. You were turning those lights on immediately in this podcast in real time. You were dancing around that identity and kind of reflecting on what drives you to, to, to form into that self-descriptor? Mm -hmm. Did that come with, because you're telling the truth, did that come with ease to construct despite being so hard to verbalize, if that makes sense? There's, there's definitely resistance there because I don't want to come off that I'm trying to change anyone and I don't always think that my way of doing things is the proper way to do things. Um, there are things that work for me that might not work for someone else because of my background, where I live, who my friends are, what I have access to. But I know one thing is true and that, that is you can always look within you and see what is resonant with the core of who you are inside. And I think that is universal. So I'm trying to do my best to put myself on display in all the capacities and create creative ways that I exist in order for other people to reflect on my experience and know that they can have the confidence to do the same thing for themselves. And that, yes, this is the way I've done it, but it's not necessary to follow me exactly the way I've done it and that everyone can design their own road to get to where they want to be. That is one of the byproducts that I look to achieve with the medium of podcasting, or at least my mm -hmm. podcast, is not for you to entirely share your own lights and for me to entirely share my own lights, but to turn on the lights for others by mm -hmm. using our own stories. We don't 
I don't give you a revelation, you don't give me a revelation, but we try and give the listener revelation through our own insights and experiences. And mm-hmm. that will look much different to the revelations that we have had, but hopefully what we say gives, gives them a little different perspective or a different trigger um, to, to go off and find their own flavor of that. Yeah, I hope so. It's, it's a fine line to walk because it, it's very easy to say, you should do this, you should do that. And like I just said, it might work, it might not. So I'm very cautious with how I, um, how I try to present myself. And that's why it took so long to finalize that long thought. Um, Cause yeah, who I am today in 2023 is pretty solidified. I know what I'm doing, I know where I'm going. And I have a plan for the next year of what I'm gonna be doing in this space that I just moved into. And uh, one thing that I'm super conscious of is making sure what I say and what I put out in the world is deeply true to me. And sometimes I think about it twice. Sometimes I think about it three times, four times, five times, but I don't want it to just be true today. I want it to also feel like something that I could believe to be true for the rest of my existence. Why is that important? Because there's so many things that come and go as true. I mean, mainstream media is one example. Um, what's true today is not necessarily true tomorrow. Um, but I just want to be speaking from a place of truth that I believe in. And in some sense, you know, it's our own personal truth and everybody has one and everybody's internal view of the world is different than everybody else. We all have our own two eyes, but we can't really see through anyone else's um, unless they do their best to share it. But even then it's distorted, uh, not necessarily distorted, but affected by the filter of our own experiences. So uh, it's important for me to have my, my personal truths aligned in everything I do. And when I do present it, if I am sharing something with the world, it's foolish to think that it's a selfish, uh, entirely selfish release. Because as soon as I put it out there, it becomes everyone else's, everyone else's idea or everyone else's concept, which then reflects back on me. So I just want to make sure as best as I can, I'm not perfect. We all you know, we can't be 100%, 100% of the time. So specifically with the book I'm thinking about, I, I thought about every single passage, every single poem, every single little idea over and over and over again, testing the validity of it, testing the validity of the language, almost like it was a math equation, uh, adding my proofs, thinking about it, trying to my best to remember the origin of the thought so that I could double check with that and see how I feel in my later age. Um, from when I wrote it, because, you know, looking, I always feel like I'm climbing up a mountain. So looking up at a path as I'm standing below it, I might think I have the best way to get to the top. But as soon as I turn around and look back at where I was, I might have walked up the the hardest path there was. On that analogy, I want to reflect on a couple of lines from one of your poems, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. The mountain I climb has no peak. Only at the top, I find the answers I seek. Mm-hmm. In true development by David Style, using origin stories, can you start at the foot of that trail? Mm. 
Well, there's two two starts. I mean, the very first day would be the day I was born, right? So at the top of the mountain with no peak, of course, that would be my death. And then as soon as I pass, it's my understanding that I should be able to look back at everything that I've done in my life. Um, That might not be the case. I hope it is. It'd be really great to reflect on everything and see all of the ways that I was right or wrong or could have gone left when I went right. But that's the, uh, the metaphysical meaning of that one. As far as the, if that was base camp, I would say the, uh, the first camp of that climb was somewhere around maybe 11 or 12 years old when I kind of started to become aware that my actions had motivations beyond just living, breathing, eating, and, uh, you know, human interaction. I've always felt that there was a little bit more behind the scenes than just, you know, person-to-person communication or little actions that had reactions. What were some of these facets that you discovered? Was it desire? Was it values? Was it opportunity? What was it? Hmm. That's tough. <laughs> I I would put it along the lines of desire and opportunity for sure. Um, you know, wants and needs don't always mix. They're not the same thing. You don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And that, that was kind of my question. I started to ask that question. Uh, why can't I always have what I want? And, you know, this slap on the wrist might not have been what I wanted, but it was what I needed. So why do I have those things? The, the question why, I think maybe that would be the ultimate answer is when I was, you know, that age, 10, 11, 12 is when I really started asking why on a grander scale of more than just like, why was I rewarded for this or why was I punished for this? I was wondering how the mechanics of introducing those rewards or punishments came into my life. Where did they come from and how did that get motivated from some other motivation or some other action reaction chain that brought its way to me more so than just me being a singular event in the world. I'm trying to understand the collapse of many, 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 circumstances that all aligned in one moment in my life and our complete genesis is by default we don't choose family we don't choose where we're born we don't Mm -hmm. sometimes at this age even choose tastes or traits Um, even our friends and peers are semi-self-predicated based on just what environments we find ourselves in Mm -hmm. we don't actually know what to want to want that makes sense most of our de- desires are shaped by what we think other people want. Mm-hmm. Do or, you have any, or where we started. Go ahead. Or where we started. So do you have any kind of 
r remembering thoughts of what you wanted at that first base camp or what you thought you wanted? Yeah, it's always been the same. And I have, I have always come back to this. I am keen on developing or producing or creating a better solution to the problems that exist. That has always been my, my driving force. If I see something that I don't like, or that needs to be shaped up, um, specifically in the creative world, I definitely have some projects at home that I haven't taken care of, but um yeah trying to consistently level up myself and everyone around me as a as a proper teammate i suppose how did that manifest itself into what came after after that what did life look like as a as a teenage mac um pretty typical sports video games um girlfriends you know just the the run-of-the-mill stuff i'm from a suburban area so um life itself a little bit different than your upbringing but i've always had pretty much all of my necessities met um friends around me were good nobody was a troublemaker um i was a solid athlete I, Felt confident with myself, um, but then the one difference that really took me left instead of right was the creative aspect, which was so different than ninety-nine percent of the people I met. I had one really, really good friend, which I'm sure the world's heard of him. His name is Logan Paul, and we would just go make YouTube videos or film something ridiculous and put it together in order to either make people laugh or just share what we were doing with the world. And at the time, this whole YouTube sphere was so new and just different than anyone had ever discovered before. And we were fascinated with it. So just pursuing that and seeing where we could go with it and then all of the skills that came along with it the video skills the photography skills the desire to tell a story uh cinematography writing a script editing posting sharing hashtags uh, i mean all that stuff just really started entering my mind and i was you know 14 years old a little bit younger but you know, that, that kind of carried on all the way through at least to my freshman year of college when I kind of took a break from it all. But uh, yeah, that was, that was the early teenage years, typical stuff and then video creation. I don't know who had more of a profound impact on who, but giving or imagining it's kind of an equal product. Do you think Logan would have had the meteoric success and breakthroughs and comfortable nature to curate if he didn't have you and vice versa do you think you would have been able to curate and have the confidence to do so if you didn't have him the question i'm basically asking is how important was it for you to have like an artistic or creative peer um 
Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to say what either of us would have done without the other. Um, certainly that interest would have been different, and I guess the collaborative nature of it wouldn't have been fostered and developed, and I wouldn't have had someone to compliment my skills. My skills were behind the camera. His skills were in front of the camera. So, you know, it's kind of of a dynamic duo, and you need you need both sides. I wasn't comfortable in front of the camera and he wasn't good behind it. And, you know, through that, we kind of traded skills and sharpened each other. And there was a competitive spirit behind it, but also fascinating friendship that really brought us together. So it, it'd be tough to say, I know that kid has a hell of a lot of drive, so he would have been successful in whatever it is he did. Um, but would it have been YouTube directly? I'm not sure. Is there an aspect of permission involved in that? Because someone was doing it alongside you or someone shared the same kind of ideas or tastes or traits, it gave you permission to feel and embrace the same? I know, at least for me, now that I've got friends in the podcasting sphere, that gives me permission to feel comfortable as a podcaster. And mm -hmm. if I maybe never had this ecosystem around me or supportive environment whereby people were doing something very similar to me, I don't know if I would treat the world as permissionless as I have. Yeah. It's very hard to go to a party alone. Um, so showing up with your best friend makes it a whole lot easier. You have someone to talk to, you have someone to bounce ideas off of and just a bit more comfort to, that, that, you know, at any moment, if something goes wrong, you have at least one person that's rooting for you. When you guys were collaborating and developing content and art online, what did the tra trajectory look like in terms of the manifestation of your everyday life? How did everyday life change because of the amount of views, likes, and follows both of your content was getting collaboratively? Mm, didn't change too much. It was kind of always the same thing. Hang out, shoot a video, go off and do something fun with our friends. So... You know, the young years, like we didn't have anything going on. We didn't have jobs. We didn't have uh, things to do in the summer. We didn't have anything other than school. So life was pretty simple. That was our hobby. And just like on any other hobby, it was what we did when we had nothing else to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that kind of went up into the freshman year of college. He went off on his thing. I went off on my thing. His views really started to climb. And I just focus on school and did my stuff here and there. Given that you found yourself in education, studying botany and your friend with very similar upbringing was going off and doing very different things, peeking through the glass, peeking through the window, did you ever have a sense of envy of that lifestyle or were you assured at that point on who you were, the interests that you had in the study? the field of study that you chose to, to follow? How did you manage peeking at him through tinted glass? Um, I don't know if envy is the right word. I mean, certainly was super happy for the guy. And, you know, it's like everything we ever tried to do, which was make incredible videos that make the world laugh, uh, smile, and engage on a bigger level. Um, so in that regard, I just felt like a success. I personally felt like a success because I knew I had a part in that. 
Um, but I had my own life and I, you know, I had my focus, my dreams, and I knew where I wanted to go. Uh, of course, it would have been nice to kind of do a little bit more. Um, but that was, that was my vehicle for world reaching creativity, which is kind of that, that part of it has distorted my view, the ability to reach the world as opposed to just a local audience. And, uh, when he left for Los Angeles, we drove out there and it did feel like a sort of departure for both of us. He was going to go off and do this thing. I was going to go off and do this thing. So, you know, it would have been cool looking back. I definitely thought about dropping out of school and pursuing that, but it wasn't my, um, as much as I enjoyed doing that and creating videos. And at the time it was Vine. It wasn't even so much YouTube. Um, it wasn't my calling. I, I didn't love that style of creativity. I wanted to be cinematographer, um, write long form you know, content movies, not necessarily TV shows, but uh, stuff like that. Underground cinema things. I, I'm a sucker for an obscure film. But, um, yeah, I mean, watching your friend be super successful, you definitely, re you know, reflect. On, I reflected on myself in the sense that it would be nice to have all that. But I'm so glad he did his thing and I did my thing because it's made me the person that I am today. That's legit. So did you travel out to Los Angeles at the same time? I uh, drove out there with them, but came back and I was in, in school. So I stayed home in Ohio. Um, but then, you know, over the years, back and forth, that was always a consistent destination for me. In terms of your own artistic expression, do you remember the first time you were expressive? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was a young man. I was maybe 13, 14 and I had taken a fascination to Halo, uh, Halo the video game montages. And mm -hmm. I was so interested in learning how to capture the footage, edit the footage, and make it look really cinematic to make the coolest Halo montages. Um, before that, I mean, there was some photography stuff. We had a family friend that was really big into shooting home videos and these little storylines that involved us as actors, all the neighborhood kids. Um, and they were, you know, these like fairy tale videos and I played a tree or something like, you know, just stupid little summertime experiences. And they're, they're, they're great. Um, definitely affected me in a positive way. I loved it. I loved that style of creativity. I loved what went into editing and how you could take footage and, use a green screen and animation and all that stuff. So yeah, that kind of blossomed into the Halo videos and I always wanted to make the coolest montage, but <laughs> I was just not prepared with my skills. So uh, took time to develop that and that taught me everything about editing video, how to capture footage, frame rates, uh, shutter speed, lighting, ISO, blah, 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 you name it, all the camera stuff that I needed to know in order to be the best videographer I could at the time. It's so incredible to think that 13 or 14 year old Mac paved the foundations for what you've became. 
the nuts and mm-hmm. bolts had all had been there all along. Um, Absolutely, you've just found out how to put them together. Still feel like I'm doing that. I mean, every day I'm finding new ways to to record myself in a way that feels true to me. Um, that's always the the thing I'm trying to do to find my personal style and make it. Like I've always, you know, I dream of myself as some sort of uh, uh, what's his name, Inoratu, some sort of uh, Christopher Nolan, some uh, you know, any any of these major cinema names. I, I'm trying to achieve that, and I see myself reaching that someday. But you know, the the limitations of what I have make me get super creative and try to get to that level with what I got. So I'm cool with that. I definitely have bigger dreams and aspirations for what I have now. I think my setup's great. I think my style is pretty cool. Um, but I want to improve, 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 improve. And it, yeah, it started at a young age. I'm glad I learned those things then because now I'm able to, you know, very quickly identify issues in my own work or issues with other people's stuff and then help them improve and show them ways that, you know, 60 FPS might be this new standard and it's it's pretty interesting, but it doesn't necessarily help the feel of what they're trying to create. So that real nuanced understanding of storytelling via the technical aspects of camera equipment, editing, lighting, color, all of that just started so young and it's ingrained in my brain. I'm very grateful I started when I did. It's so great to reflect on the nuts and bolts of your your kind of cinematography, video editing. I want to talk about at least what is I've perceived as the nuts and bolts of your poetry, um, mm-hmm. which is your first available poem online. And uh, it, it might not be your first poem ever, but um, it's called Awake. Do you remember it? Mm. So it reads, where heaven and horizon collide, I walk the line level-headed in the center with one foot on either side. With that mm-hmm. in mind, I know you ventured back to to Los Angeles or back to California. I was hoping you could share some of your experiences of your time there, because I think that initial poem where heaven and horizon collide, you walk the line level-headed in the center with one foot on either side. I feel like that is a really good summation of your time there. So that's actually a summation of my time back here in Ohio. Wow. Um, yeah, I had taken a profinity for studying Zen Buddhism and the monk life and stepping away from cell phone, walking barefoot in the, you know, on the ground, swimming, sitting by the water, breathing, focusing on nothingness, hearing the sounds of the world around me. And doing my best to achieve a mental connection to the fourth dimension, which I would consider to be all the possibilities of time and space that surround me. Um, So where heaven and horizon collide, I walk the line. Heaven being all the collection of fourth dimensional possibilities and horizon being the end of the earth. Um, I imagine myself tiptoeing on that divine line and doing my best to pull elements from a higher plane of existence back into my reality in order to 
stay level-headed and exist in both places at the same time, a superposition of humanity and its endpoint. Moving to LA, having that in mind, did that stay constant? Absolutely. It was critical that I, I lived in Ohio in order to remain as true to myself as possible in Los Angeles. And what did your experience in Los Angeles look like in that, in that case? Um, I just kind of always felt like an outcast. I certainly have my tastes, my interests, my style. Um, in the LA culture scene, you know, I was kind of in the Hollywood sphere and I got thrust into a, a higher cast of society. Is, what was your word? Social? Uh, for me, it's lower socioeconomic background. So you were probably in a higher socioeconomic. No, no, no. You said... Uh, social mobility? Social mobility. Yeah, my social mobility, I felt like I all of a sudden was driving a Ferrari where before it was not that... Um, so I always felt kind of like a, uh, fish out of water, which was nice. Cause I got to be a different flavor for the people out there. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the social aspect of it was always so fascinating to me and being a part of a world that I definitely helped design and, uh, put some bricks down for in Logan's world. It was, it was amazing. It felt like a major reward for me to see all the fruits of his success and then get to share in that living at his space and meeting the people who have made this internet lifestyle a reality. Um, so to see how all these creative people have come from all over the world, all over, I mean, specifically the United States, mostly the people that I was hanging out with were from here, but um, just, all of the incredible ways that they've shared themselves, their experiences in order to get to a place like Los Angeles and kind of define this new wave of media was so inspiring and has continued to inspire me to this day because I know what's possible with just a little bit of uh, creativity, a whole lot of recording it, and you need that 10% of luck in order to get to the the top. But Living out there was was a dream come true. It had been my my desktop background for a while to go to Los Angeles, um, live there. You know, my my pursuit was cinema, film. I did work in the media department in school, and I really wanted to pursue that dream. And then the whole YouTube thing. Once I saw it take off from my friends, it infected my mind and took over and now it became this new pinnacle of success and what I'm, what I'm aiming for. And that all came from my time in Los Angeles, a real, uh, real change of who I am and what my pursuits were and definitely what my pursuits were not. If I reflect on perhaps the desktop backgrounds of many of my audience members or my listeners, it might look like Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I believe in Naval Ravikant's 
quote where he says, it's easier to achieve your material desires than to renounce them. You went on this transformational episodic journey whereby you did achieve what could be some people's material desires. Mm. Those desires being being on impulsive for a hundred episodes, flying in private jets, living in mansions, parting with celebrities. Mm. What were some of the trappings of that lifestyle for you personally? I think the the one that always kind of stuck with me, and there's there's two ways to look at it. One was that I didn't earn that, and the other is that I did some in some way earn that. Something I did early on was a seed that I planted that grew into the tree that was providing me those opportunities. And the other was that it wasn't my life. I was kind of living as a part of someone else's life. Um, and it took me to a place where I felt like all those things were mine, but they were not mine. They were uh, a gift from another person. And, you know, that's that comes with the inflated ego, that comes with a distorted perception of myself, that comes with um, losing track of, I don't want to say the little people in my life, but, you know, the, the ones that are on the extremities that have meant a, a great deal to me. Um, and I, I just wasn't so focused on the things that made me wholesome and entirely me so it's easy to get caught up in a fast-paced life out there it's easy to get caught up in this grand idea of i'm really going to be something and um, i think los angeles as a whole is is really a, a wizard of oz story um, i love this analogy i haven't seen it anywhere i can't believe i haven't seen it anywhere i really do feel like i discovered something here but it's the, the Emerald City. Everybody wants to get there. And then as soon as you get to this uh, this wizard, this magnificent man, you discover that it's really just a little guy sitting behind a curtain announcing his grandeur to the world and claiming his dominion. Um, and then you wake up from the dream, and guess what? You go right back to Kansas. So um, I'm back in Kansas now. Technically, it's Ohio. But... Um, I feel so much closer to home. I feel like I have learned, like you said, I've achieved my quote unquote material desires. Maybe that were a bit naive at the time because I was a young man and I achieved those things. We all, we all want, you know, these incredible things, the big house, the fast cars, blah, blah, blah. And then you, you integrate those things into your life and realize that it's a bit overwhelming at times. And there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And me as a simple person who's trying to um, reduce my, not necessarily reduce my responsibilities, but reduce my energy that's required for my responsibilities and then focus all my attention and energy on the things that are going to help me be the happiest, healthiest, most loving, caring family member uh, and friend that I can be. Um, I was super focused on the external gain and not so much focused on the internal mental spiritual and personal physical health gains that have always been my first pursuit so definitely bounced around looking for whatever the next cool thing was for a while and 
now I don't feel so trapped. I definitely have aims and goals and desires, but they're a little bit more refined after um, touching the stove, as I say. You know, it's so interesting. I, I wonder if the stove is hot and then you touch it and then you find out, yeah, it's in fact hot and it burns a little bit. So I touch the stove and I don't need to go chase those things anymore. I had a psychologist and author called Dr. Meg J on the podcast who wrote the amazing book, The Defining Twenty Sorry, The Defining Decade, Your Twenties and How to Make the Most of Them. Mm. And the premise of that book is that your twenties are the most autobiographical. I struggle to say that word, autobiographical, consequential uh years of your life. Mm -hmm. uh, because you're constantly evolving and you're lambasted by choice and expectation. And given that you were in your mid-20s as you were thrusted into um, fame and millions of eyeballs and you were developing mm -hmm. in real time in front of an audience in front of an auditorium of millions how much pressure did that put on you to develop in line of what the audience expected you to develop like if that makes sense certainly a lot you know you start telling the storyline of your at least for me as an artist, you know, I'm developing the storyline of my life and the work that I've done. And, um, each thing has to be quote unquote, better than the next, better than the last. Um, so to have everybody watching or to know who I am deeply personally is a bit strange. I wasn't prepared for it. Um, and it led me to be pretty reclusive at times, I, I didn't necessarily want to share versions of myself that I didn't deem to be part of my storyline, which was at the time it was this quiet, reserved, uh, pensive artist man. But, you know, there's so many other sides of me of humor or uh, I'll, I nerdy stuff, technical abilities, uh, engineering interests. Like all, all these things that didn't really fit with the public perception of who I am. And I couldn't find ways to like weave that in to make it make sense to someone who was viewing me. Or at least in my mind, I wanted to have like one real core concrete idea that was simple to digest as opposed to this complex woven mesh of all of my interests for my entire life, which are so vastly different. Um, and it really reduced me to my simple elements, but didn't give a lot of flavor. I was pretty bland. Um, and it, it made me reduce the things that I was interested in in order to present a better image to the world. There is a specific video. I don't know if it's a now deleted scene from an impulsive episode whereby mm -hmm. other um, hosts on the show discredit you for having interest tastes and traits that are truly innate to you and for vocalizing them on the show um they are aiming at they're aiming to purvey content that captures audience so that would be news headlines social media trends mm -hmm. controversy and culturally relevant topics yeah yeah i actually just rewatched that one did you send that to me i didn't Oh, so I just saw that. I, I kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, and, it was... Um, what, what what I'm trying to get to is like the audience, like I think it's a, the concept is audience capture, whereby yeah. you put a piece of content once 
the audience gives you positive feedback on that content. So you'd start developing more of that content, even though it's misaligned mm-hmm. to who you truly are. So yeah. you start getting rewarded for a false feedback loop. And it seems mm-hmm. like both Logan and Mike on the show were getting this huge reward for displaying probably content that they're not even passionate about, but it was feeding this algorithm, feeding the system. And over here on the left-hand side, you were talking about things about your own life, about your mm-hmm. own passions and projects. But that wasn't obviously getting the same reward mechanism that these pop trendy uh, topics were. And it was so heartbreaking to see this dichotomy in the room of uh, origin and authenticity and truth versus Mm -hmm. what was feeding this algorithm. Interesting position to be in. Um, I think the... the biggest lesson from that would be kind of know your audience and you know there are still ways to take my perspective and put them into the pop cultural world um but i was uninterested in sharing my opinion on anything that was uh gossip or uh things i just didn't find interesting you know i'm not super interested in the celebrity sphere i'm not interested in uh what people are wearing or who they're dating that kind of thing so it was just hard for me to talk about and that you know, perhaps looking back, I could have been more interested, even if I feigned interest in it uh, for a little bit, kind of played along with it. It could have gone a long way, but um, it wasn't my interest. And, you know, there's the the top 100 charts, top 100 chart of music. And I don't like any of those songs, but people do. There are people that enjoy that music and it it's impossible for me to say, Oh, that's bad. Or that sucks because clearly there's a ton of people that do enjoy it. And my perspective isn't the all encompassing view of how the world should live, live their lives. In fact, it's pretty niche. So, uh, I am who I am. Wasn't really interested in changing that for, um, for any reason. And, That spot was a great blessing. Taught me so much about specifically sitting here, podcasting, learning how to talk to people, learning how to be uh, inquisitive, how to keep it, how to keep the conversation relevant or topical or just interpersonal skills and how to really understand the the dynamic of a multi-person conversation with millions of eyeballs watching. It's an incredible skill that I I don't know if I've even fully grasped yet. I feel uh, definitely the same. It was rumored that you were bullied off the Impulsive show, and I don't believe that was at all the, the truth. Can I ask how you made the decision to leave the Impulsive podcast in that case? Uh, it was just time. It was clear that it was time to go, and I left. And what did the roadmap look like to start again on your own journey? Did you have a roadmap? Did you have an idea of what was going to come next? Or how did you navigate that that next fresh canvas? Uh, the, the big thing was getting back home. This was September of 2020, I believe. So things with COVID were a little bit 
will still very scary and nobody really knew what was going on. Um, so to come home to my family and be close to my family and really just be who I was, but close to home was the game plan. That was all I had in mind. And, you know, the, the fear of what could happen with any of them based on the, um, ongoing global pandemic was terrifying. And that, that fear really, uh, inspired me to just, like I said, be as close to my family as possible and go from there. In terms of starting again or a restart, on your reflections, how important was changing your environment around you? You moved from hustle and bustle um, of Hollywood and Los Angeles mm -hmm. into somewhere really tranquil. Um, I'm not sure if you revisited Loch, or that's what we call it in Scotland, Lake Erie, again during that time. But how how did the change of environment inflict on your decisions of what came next? Um, did reconnecting with nature, wildlife, serenity, did that have an impact on um, trajectory thereafter? Yeah, absolutely. It was um, it was a culture shock, truly, to first of all move from a house that had six very active people in it and a whole bunch of friends, you know, all working on the same creative focus which was creating internet content and then coming home to Cleveland where it was pretty limited um, was a major culture shock. It really took me for a loop, really made me change my day-to-day -day habits. Just first of all, it's not California. So the sun was a little bit different, but um, you know, I'm, I've always been interested in, kind of the next thing and the next way that I can learn a new skill and learn how to integrate and adapt to my environment the best. So I was just proud that I could take all the information that I learned in Los Angeles and bring that home here to Cleveland and share that with my friends here. Um, I was really quickly accepted by a guy who I was close with, but not uh, super close with. His name's James Douglas. I have to give him a major shout out. He immediately embraced me, gave me the keys to his photo studio and just kind of from there, I, I felt I felt like I had the resources I needed to still still be as creative as I was in California. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know if I ever really hit the same stride, at least in that first year, first year and a half, because everything was so different. And I was, I mean, one total change in life, culture shock Two, did in fact become ill, had to, you know, work on recovering from that. My mind was messed up. My body was messed up. I had this whole physical response to just trying to become well again. And it took a lot of energy for me. And I, I don't know if I really got back to a hundred percent until maybe let's say last year around summertime. Well. Um, yeah, I just didn't have the energy to create. I didn't have the energy to be myself, be who I was. I was incredibly introspective, locked in my own mind. And then, 
you know, the idea for putting a book together finally crossed my radar again. I realized that I had a lot of, a lot of thoughts that I've written over the past five years. And I said, all right, this will be my, my project that's going to get me started again. And I just went all out from, I think it was, I started in May. I put the book out in August and it was the, the best thing I've ever done to get myself back creative, expressing my thoughts, sharing my internal world, sharing who I am, even if poetry isn't the most universally accepted thing, although everyone comes across some form of poetry, whether that's through music or film or TV, um, it's all poetic. So yeah, defining that and allowing the world to know that this is in fact something I do and do frequently um, just felt so good, felt so right and brought me back to myself. I'm so glad that you had that that moment and that Providence, your book, was the catalyst for that. Mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to start reading your book thanks to you. You shared a copy with me. And given that you are so used to validation in the masses by how many likes a video you used to get or how many comments that you got on a viral podcast, now that you've changed the medium, which is now poetry, and now that your audience is much smaller than it used to be, mm-hmm. how did you validate the ideas that you had, the poems that you had, and the thought stars that you created? Um, something I do frequently, which is imagining myself at the end of my life, looking back at all the little spikes of completion or ultimate satisfaction. And it wasn't necessarily, it's, it's very important to me that I've shared this book with the world. I do think there's a lot of insight, a lot of wisdom that I've collected just from exploring the natural world with only a pen and a piece of paper. Um, I think that is enough to, like I mentioned earlier, illuminate a different pathway to accepting and realizing the self. Um, but also, I, I have all these ideas and things that I want to share with the world that I'm not yet prepared to make, and I need to go through these steps in order to get there. I have to publish a book in order to know how to do the next one that I feel like will be even better. I have to learn how to sit here and talk to a camera so that I can get to the next level of interviewing the people that I want to interview. I have to paint all these paintings, whether they're uh, tiny little pieces of paper that are easier to ship or massive pieces that have uh, acoustic panel material behind them and frame it myself so that I can learn how to make an even bigger one that displays on an even larger wall in a more important gallery somewhere in the world that will then impact the hopefully the psychological well-being or uh, psychological perception of this is a difficult one to explain. I want my paintings to have a psychological effect on people. I want them to experience them and then have an internal reflection based on the piece. Um, but I have to continue to do these things so that I can learn how to make the one that I have in my mind that I haven't even been able to really scratch at the surface of yet. And I know it's coming based on the stuff that I'm making, but I just have to keep going, keep doing it in order to get to that point. That's what I love about podcasting. I can watch you work through the mind and the emotions of that question. Um, I never sent you any questions in advance. We barely discussed what the topic 
of the podcast was going to be. And I just love watching you come to those real time revelations and realizations on this podcast. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about, I want to talk about your book. I want to talk about the genesis of the book Providence. Mm-hmm. What's the story of its name and its formation? Uh, so Providence, the definition is the definition that I've chosen to represent what I believe the word means is the foreseeing care and guidance of God or nature over the beings of earth. And I do believe in a natural spirit that looks over us. I do believe in a godlike energy that is connecting all things, all points in time, all, uh, all moments, all actions, reactions. So my pursuit in life, as I mentioned earlier, that big question, why, is to try to understand the motivation and the chain of action reaction that makes up what we call time in order to better situate myself to have positive action reaction chains. Um, That's led me, you know, we all, I don't want to use the word or the terms good and bad, but we all do things that can lead to punishment and hopefully we are, we course correct and get onto the good side or the light side of things. And it's all part of the same game in order to, for me, get to that ultimate version of myself, that ultimate being that has the care and support of whatever this energy is whether the, whether it's a conscious energy or an unconscious energy that rewards good action with good reaction, that is what I'm aiming to achieve. And I, I believe that through this book, I discovered the process of doing that. Mate, that's, that's magical. I, I know I'm going to have to listen to this podcast back to really digest and synthesize that. I might be wrong here, but... Would I be correct in saying that the name Providence also came from a charity from your local area as well? Correct. So there is a a local charity called Providence House. It is a charity that takes care of young children who are in at-risk situations. So whether that's a medical situation or a family situation, and they are willing to receive the children who are either going through a hard time or about to go through a hard time and provide them a safe space in order to grow and be the healthiest they can. And that's such a nice nod to them as well, mate. It's, uh, it's definitely the, the chosen charity of my family and kind of our extended family friend circle. It's, as you know, to, impact the mind of a young person or to give them a a safe place to grow in it really sets the tone for the rest of their life and if if i can do if i can do anything to help anyone from a young age grow in a positive direction i'm going to do my best to do that so yeah this this whole book uh i i, I guess there's a, a tandem there or tangent there where um trying to connect myself to them, um, but it's not necessarily for, for them, I guess. Through writing this book, it, it seems like you've found purpose again. 
many people from this community might not have a feeling of self-importance or mm -hmm. even a feeling of purpose. Do you have any reflections on how someone from a background like that, or just any background at all, begins to make sense of purpose? Well, there's a couple things. There's a couple ways. I've, I've been thinking about one lately, which is passion and the idea of, you know, where am I supposed to put my time? And one interesting thought is kind of a, like a, a subverted way of looking at it, inverted way of looking at it, which is I, there's a lot of things in the world that I don't want to do. Like, I don't want to sit here and edit a podcast. I don't want to caption things. I don't want to take this picture and then put the stuff on my computer and then edit it and then fix it and this, 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 and this. I don't want to do any of that stuff, but I'd rather do that than anything else in the world. So I don't necessarily mean that like I would rather do this than anything else in the world. I mean like I don't want to do all those other things, so I'm choosing to do this. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting inversion of how to look at passion. Um, and then passion kind of leads its way into purpose. Um, like I said earlier about the the druidism and being a poet, uh, musical. Oh, that was that was another element of it. They, they teach people how to make music in the druid school. Um, but yeah, being interested in all these things, like was that designed or defined for me in some genetic code or spiritual code that I don't know? Um, I'm not sure, but I definitely recognize my interests and that interest is what has led me to be the person that I am. And I guess down that road is where I will ultimately find my purpose, but I will not know what my true purpose is until I've passed. And it's weird to think that it might've been something I did 10 years ago when I you know, helped an old woman cross the street, I might've achieved my quote unquote purpose. I think there's many purposes have many reasons for living. I might be someone's uh, son or brother or uh, an inspiration to them. Someone I've never met, a 14-year-old from Scotland, who I go on to inspire this person. And they become a beautiful force in this world that can improve the lives of many. So to have, you know, this is my purpose. This is my one singular purpose. I don't know if that is a a solid way of going about things, but I definitely believe in uh, pursuing my truest interests, the things that are the most true to me, even if they're as simple as skipping rocks and trying to make the world's best skipping rock, because I know that will bring joy to the world eventually when I do in fact do that. Um, but just one, one purpose that I do have, I think you could have many purposes is what I'm trying to say. You can have so many, you can come up with so many different ways of, uh, defining what your purpose is and it just takes time to achieve all of them, but you can get there. One of the poems I'm reminded by when you talk about that, this perception of your purpose may have passed you by or the manifestation of your purpose may have passed you by, whether it was helping an old lady cross the road, you could have achieved your purpose. Mm. I'm reminded of your poem walking that says, my life has often felt to me like sitting backwards on a train with the world revealing itself to me only after I've already passed on by. It signifies to me the importance of meditating on the past. Mm -hmm. And 
within these communities, meditation isn't actually a very accessible tool or isn't a very understood tool. It seems mm -hmm. just by listening to you, I can tell you've spent a lot of time meditating. Based on that yeah. poem and based on the habit of meditation, what kind of revelations can you share with the listeners? Um, Self-reflection is one of the most integral parts of my existence. And, you know, a lot of times meditation is, just, there, there's many forms of meditation. One can be sitting and trying to uh, be at peace with the world and accept all of the thoughts and emotions that are going on and then find stillness. One of my preferred meditations. However, there are also meditations, meaning profound, deep self-reflection and looking at the things in my life that I've appreciated, things that I didn't appreciate, whether that was something I did and then was returned back to me or something that someone else did to me and then how I reacted to that. Um, but it's, it's a famous saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. I love it. It's so true. You can't know everything until you've passed that experience, which is what I mentioned earlier, where I'm looking up the mountain and I see that this is the path that I'm going to take. And then I get to that spot. And as soon as I get there, I realize I was totally wrong. I should have done this, 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 and this, or I should have taken this path. I should have done it this way, but that's okay because now I've learned. Um, I didn't lose anything. I still climbed higher in my experiential uh, chain of wisdom. And now I'm a much more complete person because of it. So we're all along for the ride. I don't get to define anything. There's, I mean, there are so many things that are outside of my control. I don't get to define how the birds fly around me. I don't get to define what plants grow uh, without, you know, if, if they're outside of my little planters. But even then, all I can do is provide the water and the energy, hope they get enough sunlight to sprout. One of the uncontrollables in life is death and taxes, mm -hmm. but predominantly death. You can and... control taxes. <laughs> That's for after the podcast for some financial yeah. advice. <laughs> you don't but... pay them. Pay your taxes. Well, realistically, death is uncontrollable. It's one of those, it's one of the most prominent factors of that, one of the most prominent examples of that, sorry. Death mm -hmm. is definitely uncontrollable, and you write a lot about it in your in your book. How do you stay aware of death? Do you stay aware? Do you stay aware of it? How do you interpret that life will ultimately come to an end? I definitely used to think about it a lot more than I do now. Uh, I think every young person kind of comes to terms with the fact that they will, in fact, one day die. Um, but it's unknown when that will happen, and the way I stay familiar with it is that I just remind myself of all of the great people that have come and left in the world. And I guess trying to remind myself, I, I do, I do like to use it as motivation where I say, you know, this could be the last day I have, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to communicate my most positive emotions here, my most uh, raw feelings with, family, loved ones, friends, whatever it might be, um, being the most honest and true person that I can so that there's nothing left to question. And it's a super driving force right now 
especially with this idea of kind of living forever digitally. Um, I just, I've kind of decided that I want to record everything that I can one for my own reflection down the line. And then two for my family and their family and just an interesting look that's only been possible in this day and age into the way I was or the way the world was at this time through my lens and try not to get overwhelmed by the idea that I will pass eventually, but it is my, my end point that I, you know, I skip to the end of my book often and then work backwards from that visual mental um, viewpoint of all of the things that I accomplished in my life as a sense of manifestation or determining all the things that I dream of accomplishing in order to make my life well lived. I think that may be one of my trailer clips, Mike. So such a beautiful outlook on, on what could be perceived as such a horrible event. You've brought so much light to that moment in time. And I'm now getting a great sense of gratitude for having this podcast. I'm able to look back on every single conversation that I've had with something that's somewhat meaningful to me. And my family can also go back and do that. That is a really reaffirming testament that I should keep this going and start interviewing more and more people, regardless of who they are, what social status they have, what credibility they have. Um, Because just interviewing anybody will still shine a light on who I truly am in that moment in time. Um, mm. So I'm going to keep that up. Please do. And for anyone else out there that's interested in it, even if you're just sitting and talking to your iPhone and sharing it on a private YouTube link or any, you know, anywhere, even with just with your family, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. Sometimes we gloss over our emotions or our feelings with people around us because we don't want them to know our suffering or our hurts or our joys or whatever it might be because it didn't fit in with the conversation at hand. And we tend to try to keep things light and not, um, not so deep all the time because you don't want to have a deep conversation with every single person you meet every single time. It, it would just be overwhelming and too much, uh, too much to chew on and digest. But it's things like that, that over time will definitely introduce the deeper parts. I'll, I'll use myself. I, I try to speak in the first person cause I, I can't say anyone else's experience, but in my experience, it's been a fantastic way to relate myself to the people around me. So they better understand me, my interests, my personality, and where I dream of going without having to directly uh, express it to them and, you know, try to fit these things in that might not have a, a, a place in conversation at the time. Um, an active record of who I am is, is the attempt, and it becomes accessible at any time by any person. Weirdly enough, that sounds almost like an argument for the upsides of having social media, with the mm-hmm. caveat that social media, or the social media that you have and the platforms and profiles that you have are truly authentic and aligned to the person that you really are. I th- can imagine if you use social media and a view where you where you share, and I, I can see it in what you do, your true tastes and traits, your the manifestations of what's inside in terms of your expression into art into your photography into your maybe the fashion that you wear online the content that you reshare online 
the songs that you put over the, your your stories. I can imagine if you culminate all of these different features of Instagram and present your true self to those features, followers, friends, and family will. It, it gives followers, friends, and family more tools to understand you um, than more than what a normal conversation side of desk would ever mm-hmm. have. Or um, so yeah, what I'm trying to say is if you use these tools, whether it's the story feature, whether it's resharing podcasts, whether it's resharing music, if you use these features with transparency, it gives you a greater enabler to share who you truly are than a one-to-one coffee may ever have. Yeah, because there's only so much you can pack into a single conversation over coffee. And you can go deep, but if you're at a coffee shop, you're not going to pull out your favorite playlist and you might share that, but then someone might not get all the get to all the songs and the 70th song on the playlist was your favorite, but they only got to 55. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely this extension of us and the whole digital world is, you know, a major concern for so many reasons. The, <clears throat> the time spent on digital and social media stuff is concerning, um, especially with all the, the lies, the masks, the, filters, whatever it might be. Um, But I think in some sense, we all try to dress things up to make them look real nice and presentable. And I'm certainly not going to share my darkest days online because I don't want a record of that. And in fact, I try to remove it from my memory as much as possible. Um, So why would I share that with the digital world where it's going to be kept forever, almost forever, who knows how long that'll last. But um, yeah, there's, the upsides are fantastic of being able to share truly who you are. Um, the best thing that I've tried to do is capture myself as, like you said, transparently, clearly, and stylistically as I have defined it. But that's also my pursuit as an artist. And I have a lot more tools at my disposal than the average person. So I have a vision for myself and who I want to represent myself as. And that has come from a long, long life of being interested in digital, uh, I'll say uh, media creation, not just digital. I love film and analog things as well, but it's mostly represented digitally. So to define that and see the little places where I can improve and um, make it even feel more like me, that is what I'm striving for. I would love for more people to try to achieve that rather than just holding up a camera of the selfie, but it's also not everyone's interests and they don't need to do those things in order to be seen, felt and heard by the outside world. Um, so I, I, I want one the best thing I, for everyone. <laughs> I just don't want thing. them to use social media horribly and go off track with it. One thing that I wanted to ask you to reflect on is your morning routine. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to use it as a prescriptor for everyone who's listening that they should follow your routine, but I find your routine particularly interesting and useful. And I think it's definitely what carves the character that is in front of me today. How balanced you are, how spiritual you are, how introspective you are. I think that is predicated on some of the habits that you have first thing in the morning, including your first step being love. Can you tell me more about your um, good morning routine? Yeah, this I just talked about this. I'm amazed you're pulling this out already. Um, 
Yeah, so this was something I defined a while ago that to the best of my ability, I'm going to start every day with love. Um, and for a long time, it was my my focus to wake up and have the first thought on my mind be love. Just the word and the feeling of love. And it's difficult and it requires a lot of focus and a lot of diligent effort in order to um, be the first, you know, the first conscious thought that I have of the day is love. Um, it often meant going to bed with that thought in my mind and found that to be an incredible practice as well, which really led me down a, a road of being able to control my thoughts first thing in the morning, as opposed to having my thoughts controlled first thing in the morning by cell phone or external influences. But yeah, now, now my morning routine includes waking up. Uh, I'm not so focused on the very first thoughts that I have in the day because it's a little bit more difficult to control. I don't know if you can hear that. We'll cut that out. But it's a, it's a little bit difficult difficult to control. So now my first steps that I take as soon as I touch my feet to the ground are peace, love, light, and joy. And in any order, depends on the day. I don't really define that anymore either. But I walk with peace, love, light, and joy for as many steps as I can, keeping that as my mantra and my focus until I'm no longer thinking those thoughts are you know, the day starts to begin and I start to think of other things. So it might be four steps. It might be 60 steps. It depends on the day. It depends on how ready I am to get straight to work or um, some outside influence affecting me. But I found with just that simple mantra and that meditation, it allows me to feel into the best possible emotions that I can experience in my life and set my intention for the day to bring peace, love, light, and joy into the world. I am stealing that. I'm going to try that out first thing tomorrow morning, mate, and report back to you via DM of how I found it and how long it took me to get distracted by the um, the maladies of every day, whether that's technology or my to-do list. Mm-hmm. One thing I definitely wanted to ask was, I was reflecting on a video where... Logan Paul and Mike reflect on you leaving the show and they say that one of your rationales or one of your next steps was to pursue uh, bigger things and they kind Mm. of scrutinized you for using the term bigger things. What do you think their misconception of that was? Uh, Well, uh, Impulsive is the world's number one podcast. Number one one podcast in the world. So how could you have anything that's bigger than number one podcast in the world. Um, I think that was just a sort of colloquialism, just the, you know, on to bigger and better things, not necessarily saying that I'm trying to usurp that show or go do anything different, but um, that pursuit wasn't necessarily my pursuit. So I was on to other things. It's, it's really, it's not that deep. It, it was, it was just a figure of speech. <laughs> so I, I think I think the tensions were a little high at that moment. So everything's going to be taken literally. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's about it. How is your relationship with Logan Paul, that gang, and ultimately Impulsive Podcast now? All good? It's great. I mean, I've been on recently. Those guys are still some of my biggest inspirations. I love them to death. And... I'm amazed, you know, the show has continued to grow and it's gone through its 
changes and phases. And as always, you know, my number one homie is still on to bigger and better things, always. Truly to say that this time, it's uh it's incredible to watch. And I love to see how the show has gotten better and better. And it's just inspiring. I, I really I'm always amazed by what can happen just through conversation on camera and recorded into microphones. Hopefully this episode or this podcast will one day enter a stratosphere, something similar to that. Um, I, I, I have hope, I have belief that mm-hmm. it, it will. Give it five years, ten years. Um, my goal is to be the biggest podcast or the face of the podcast game, at least in Scotland. Um, we'll okay. see where I can take it thereafter. Um, I think you got it. I think I might. We'll see. Mm-hmm. That being said, when I saw your recent appearance back on that show um many months thereafter one thing that really warmed my heart was how receptive the audience was to have you back and the high regard that all the comments held you in some even said that they were reduced to tears or almost reduced to tears what is how 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 have you embodied those comments have you read them have you observed them have you felt them yeah i uh, i do check the comments i do respond it's nice to you know to talk to these people and to reach out and hear their thoughts it, it definitely helps me improve my craft and my abilities so uh you know i appreciate appreciate them for taking the time to express their emotions even if it was just in the comment section um yeah man it, it feels amazing to have the support and to know that it's there and to know that you know the, the worst thing that could ever happen I, I, not the worst thing but um it's difficult to feel like you've been forgotten and to know that i haven't been forgotten i I do feel like i'm a part of the show i'm a part of the history and um i know that i impacted a lot of people there i I didn't realize how big the show was even just when i was um i didn't realize how big the show was when i was on because it was just me talking to my friends but now that i'm long ways out it's just it's amazing to see how many people um share my thoughts and know who i am and know know how i exist and to give the listeners a peek behind the curtain before we hit record i was telling mac about how my next door neighbor a young 13 14 15 year old gent was so inspired and so enthralled and so ecstatic that i was having someone that he's seen on that podcast he was uh, so ecstatic that i was going to be friends with this person i I could meet you almost face to face obviously through the laptop but as close as face to face as our budget and time could provide (laughs) it just shows the long lasting effect that 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 podcast has had um and after we finish recording i'm going to do a, a message with you to him and it's just so nice to hear that um yeah there's remnants so many remnants of uh that podcast that exist it's very you're very you're still very much alive on that show is what i'm trying to say there well thank you i appreciate that it's uh one of my one of the things i'm most proud of in my life so you should be mate one of the questions i want to wrap up on given that this life in Hollywood and some of the people that were there were very misaligned to the interests that you had and the interests that you wanted to share with the world. I'd be wrong in saying that there wasn't a single or a group of individuals that were aligned to who you were 
and that stratosphere. Who are some of the celebrities or the influencers or the content creators that you did surround yourself with in that time that really rubbed off on you in the right way and still exist in the embodiment of who you are today? I think if I think of Mike Posner as an archetype, um, when I look at his work and his songs, um, I see a lot of similarities. I know you guys have hung out before. I don't want to put words in your mouth or figures in your mouth, but that's one name that I really could see a parallel between because I know you've interacted before. But if I were to ask you in terms of that stratosphere or that caliber of people, are there anyone who have left a lasting impact on you? A lot of names come to mind, but there's one person that I really want to highlight, which would be my friend Andre Dukum. He's just doing the Know Thyself podcast out in Topanga, California. He's a guy that moved from Michigan to be a videographer to uh, then editing lots of videos to now running his own company, being very successful, um, and is absolutely expanding his potential every single day with the guests he's bringing on his show. I love his his story and his drive and his dedication to becoming um, to becoming who he is today. And I'm glad that I'm close with him because just recently going to Los Angeles, staying at his place, he totally just reinvigorated me into what this podcasting world is and i can't thank him enough for just being one a good friend and two living his message and showing what's possible shout out andre he said like i'm gonna i'm gonna check him out after the show given that you frayed away from one's podcasting because it didn't align with your topics and interests because a lot of the topics that were discussed were fleeting and impermanent and your arc, your poems, your your words, your music and your book will be somewhat permanent. Now that you have reinvigorated this love for podcasting, releasing your first episode in a very long time, having that reflection on mind, how do you plan to use the podcast to signify permanence? It's it's a major element of my life. It, it's something I've always done. I've always been interested in having deep conversations with people on or off camera, specifically off camera. But bringing all of my ideas together, music, cinematography, creativity, uh, I feel like this is just another medium for me to explore. I've done just about every single thing that I could, whether that's short form content, painting, writing, music, photography, uh, physical product, product building, like you, you name it, I, I've tried it and I will continue to aim to be, uh, I just to max out all of my skills in all of these avenues of creativity. I love creativity as a whole and I see so many parallels between it and I know between all different mediums, there's so many connections between everything you can make. Um, so being able to talk to various people about 
all of the avenues that the mind can wander down when you're trying to produce something from nothing is fascinating to me. And all we really have at the end of the day are the stories and memories that we share. So I, I'm using podcasting as a format to record those things and broadcast interesting conversations from someone or many people who are actively striving and aiming to produce something of value for the world. As you can see, I've got a huge grin on my face because I'm thinking to myself, this exact podcast, this episode specifically, is, is an embodiment of that, this episode itself. So thank you. I want to repeat one of your poems that I've already said on this podcast and ask you a question again. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the poem of Walking, where I said and recited, where you wrote and I recited, my life has often felt to me like sitting backwards on a train with the world revealing itself to me only after I've already passed on by. Reflecting on that, if I were to ask you this hypothetical question, if I were to go, if I were to say to you to go back in time and speak to young Macklin and young Logan who have just picked up the camera for the first time, if you were to reflect on this train journey that you've been on mm-hmm. and provide some guidance, whether in a sentence, whether in a couple of sentences, on how the world has thereafter revealed itself for you. If you were to give some advice reflecting on that, what advice would you pass on to those two kids? Well, the first thing I would do would be say thank you for using all your free time to learn something instead of wasting it on unnecessary things. And the second thing, you know, the piece of advice I would give would be don't get so frustrated with not knowing how to do something because it just takes doing it to learn. And you know that it's you suck at something until you're good at it. You just got to put the effort and time in. And I'm grateful that that was always my mindset. I knew that I could achieve whatever I set my mind to. And all it took was a little bit of time and effort. Um, You can't always, can't always get to the end of that skill set right away. It takes time. It takes resources. It takes the right tools. It takes experiences that you can't achieve uh, until you get to a certain place in space and time. And it will unfold as it needs to. And to just go with it gracefully and stay focused on getting to the place I want to go because I will get there. That's a wrap with the amazing artistic Macklin. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Two guys getting to know each other in the public domain for an hour and a half. If you loved this episode, please share it far and wide. Give me a five-star review. And don't forget this podcast was sponsored with the help of Vibe and New Life Gym. If you're shopping at Vibe, use code DBYD for 15% off. And if you head along to New Life Gym in Maryhill, see Development by David or David McIntosh sent you. Follow me on all platforms. Thank you for tuning into this episode. You guys, honestly, keep this podcast alive. I appreciate and love you all. Until the next.